morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, on this show, we like to follow the news. We like to follow the trends. Um, this happens to be Persian Heritage Month, and we thought this is a great time to actually speak to a Persian Jew. Um, it's very interesting how this coincides with the month of Purim, uh, which is all about the story of a Persian heroic woman. Um, and I guess, you know, our guest today, Dr. Sheila Nazarian, is a bit of a, uh, a Persian heroine herself. Um, we actually went to college together. She does not remember me, which is very fine. Um, and but she said she does not remember most of college. Um, but she um, is a very successful plastic surgeon in LA. Um, she started in the Netflix uh, show Skin Decision um, about plastic surgery, um, and she is a refugee from Iran. So uh, Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Alison. Don't feel bad. I feel like everything before the age of thirty-three was a blur. <laughs> Totally fine. Um, I'll, make, I'll make myself memorable this time. Um, okay, so um, I guess, you know, the first thing uh, we want to understand is, you know, and what I'm really thinking about is so much what we see in media. And, you know, that's so much of a focus that we're doing here on Jew in the City. What we see of media of Jews is so kind of Ashkenazi based um, and kind of so much telling this one narrative of like, you know, affluent Jews that, you know, according to you, people had money all the way back, you know, were always privileged, always educated. Um, and the reality is that uh, the Jewish community is much more diverse than Ashkenazi only. Um, and so many of us came to this country and other parts of the world uh, fleeing persecution. So um, if you could start us off, um, when were you born? Where were you born? Um, what did white life look like for you and your family as Jews? Yeah, just before I start, I was at a um, American Brazilian aesthetic conference on President's Day just like a month ago. And one of my Italian colleagues lives on Lake Como and he was showing me his house and the property. And he was like, yeah, this property has been in our family for generations. And I just paused and I was like, no Jewish person I know can say that a land has been in their family for generations because we've all been kicked out of every land that we've gone to. And so this is just another story, I guess, of that. Uh, I was born in 1979, the year of the Iranian Revolution. I was actually born in New York, New York at LIJ. Um, my mom was, I think, like eight and a half months pregnant, nine months pregnant, flew to the U.S. just so I would uh, be a citizen, they kind of saw where Iran was going with the revolution and thought that if they ever needed asylum, having at least one child that was a U.S. citizen might be helpful. So they flew to uh, New York, where some of my uh, aunts already were, and I was born in uh, Long Island, flew back to Iran about four weeks later. And at that point, the Iranian revolution was kind of in full swing. The Iran-Iraq war was starting. There was bombs flying everywhere for about five years. Um, and we could just kind of see, as I think the world sees right now with all of the protests and the revolution happening in Iran now, just how girls are treated. Uh, so in 1985, when I was about six years old, my family really could see that, you know, they had two daughters. There was no future for women uh, in Iran. They could see how people were being treated. And so they sort of planned the escape. My dad said he was going to a medical conference uh, in the United States, left the passports of me, my mom and my sister with the government, uh, flew out to Vienna, where he stayed with one of his colleagues. Um, and actually became a translator for Hayas, uh, which is an organization, a nonprofit that helps people seek asylum to this day. 
Um, he also became like an informal doctor for the refugees uh, and the asylum seekers for that organization. And he went every day and tried to get us visas and tried to help. One day, my mom, my sister and I went to the bazaar. They put us in the back of a truck, covered us with some burlap and corn. We were kind How of, old were you? How old were you I was, I was six and a half. My sister was 13. And we were kind of like fetal positioned in the back of a, you know, the floor of the back of a truck, uh, along with other people. Do you remember this? Yeah. Along with people that we didn't know. And um, they covered us and we sort of got close to the border and spent uh, one night in the desert uh, between Iran and Pakistan. And on the second day, I want to just hear, (laughs) did you understand the fear, like the danger that you were, that was happening at this point? Like, I'm, you know, you're doing the narrative, but if I can just like interrupt you now and just, can you set the scene for me more? What could you perceive as a six-year-old in terms of the state of your mother's, you know, I guess, anxiety or the the danger of the place you were in or having to get away? Like, do you have any memories of what that looked yeah, like? Yeah, I remember when we were seeing like the bombs landing from Iraq, um, my mom would say they're fireworks. Or when we were um, about to go to the bazaar and get in the back of this truck, my mom told me we're about to go on a roller coaster ride through the desert. And I remember we were in a um, bathroom, which was basically like a clay shack with a hole in the ground. Um, and, like as we were getting closer to the border of Pakistan, it was just like some random shack along the freeway. Um, and she said, we're going to America. And all I could think was, I'm going to meet Michael Jackson. I remember that very vividly because we at the, you know, um, on like these illegal like street vendors kind of lined the streets in Iran and they would uh, sell bootleg videos of like Thriller and Madonna and stuff like that. So I had learned the Thriller dance in Iran and I just, that's what America meant to me. So I had, you know, a six-year-old's understanding and I think my mom would tell me things at the opportune time so that I wouldn't leak information to my friends um, and also make it digestible for a six-year-old now my my 13-year-old sister whole other story but as for me I just thought we were going on an adventure and that's sort of how it was phrased to me and then I also want to stop to talk you're talking about friends so let's before you leave Iran I want to just talk a little bit more about your life there other than the bombs and the fireworks were your friends Jewish um like where did your family sort of fit in in terms of were you known to be Jewish did you have to hide that like what did that look like yeah I feel like most people hit it um and also a lot of people change their last names to not sound Jewish that's very normal same uh, same story different location yeah exactly and so I definitely did have Jewish friends like in preschool and how I know that is a lot of them ended up in Los Angeles and I recognized them when I came here and started going to school here uh but you know definitely hiding you were all hiding from each other coming to school just pretending to be muslim um and no i mean you didn't pretend you just didn't say anything you know what i mean and and in schools in iran like you had to learn you know the islamic chanting and the hadith and all of that so it was just sort of yeah you know that was just what you did you didn't say i'm jewish i don't need to learn these prayers you learn the prayers you memorize them and to this day my husband who was also 13 when he left iran knows you know the muslim chants probably more than a lot of muslims in the u.s and so he could be an actor in fauda so perfect um um, and what about what you were able to practice if being jewish had to be on the dl in iran like what were you able to do what was what felt safe to do in such a, a dynamic 
I mean, you didn't put like a mezuzah on your door. You didn't put little, you know, cardboard cutouts of menorahs on your doorway during Hanukkah. I actually have like zero memory of actually practicing Judaism in Iran. I, it's a good question. I should go back to my family and kind of ask exactly how they did it. But I, like, I have early, early memories of going to temple in Yom Kippur in America. I have no memories of that in Iran. It's just like, like, you know, if we want to kind of consider the complicated, like, nature of the Jew where we are, and it sounds in some ways kind of like the Russian Jewish experience in some ways too, you, your childhood was filled with Muslim prayers and learning how to do that, and you can't even remember, um, you know, practicing Judaism because it was so unsafe to be Jewish. I want to actually, before we continue on the leaving story, I actually want to go back a little further in your family, just because I also want to give space and sort of acknowledge what happened in 1948? Um, that's you know sort of the event which I've actually been speaking to some people in the you know Mizrahi community about the fact that there's the name for this date like the day that Jews were exiled from Arab and you know Iran countries. It's a very long name. I'm not sure if you know what I'm. If it's called. It's on November 30th, but they made a date to sort of commemorate the exile of Jews from these lands, and it just needs a much more kind of punchy name. But if people don't know who are listening, um, around the 1940s, mid-1940s, um, 850,000 Jews were expelled from various uh, Middle Eastern countries. Um, I think they had been living there for hundreds or thousands of years, and being Jewish there became very unsafe. So um, was your family affected by that at all? Are, are there relatives, you mentioned aunties in New York already or in the U.S., did people leave before your family stayed? And the question is, why didn't your family leave? I actually, I'm not sure that Iran was involved in that. I, I know that Morocco was, I know that a lot of the Arab countries were, but, you know, prior to the Islamic revolution in Iran, um, Jews were treated pretty well. I know that the Shah himself, the more, more recent Shah was better to Jews than prior ones were. Um, but, you know, a lot of the Jews, for example, that were expelled during the Spanish Inquisition ended up in Iran, um, and they have, they, they go to the city of Kashan. The reason why I know that is because we just applied for our Portuguese passports and they wanted to see that you had family in Kashan because that's where that was kind of linked. So it's just interesting kind of where people ended up. I actually just did my genetic testing and I'm 70% Italian huh. um, by, by DNA. And I just, because I'm darker um, than the typical Persian Jew, I thought we, I was part of the Spanish Inquisition. And I definitely have roots in Kashan too. So I, I uh, you know, just assumed I was Spanish. So what I'll, tell, um, what I'll tell you from some Iranian Jews that I spoke to was that my sense is that it was more people escaping more of like um, them feeling danger, like uh, danger living there as opposed to being sort of forcibly, forcibly expelled. Um, mm -hmm. I guess it didn't affect all people, but definitely it's included in that sort of expulsion or exile. But I think mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a different vibe where some people felt less safe and got smuggled out of the country in a way that sounds actually very similar to what happened to you in the early 80s. I just want to kind of like clarify that there were different periods, you know, in Iran. No, for sure. I know that after um, the Iranian revolution, about 650,000 um, Iranian Jews left. And what, um, what no, that was during mostly, yeah, in Israel. I, I know this. So definitely, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of movement, um, whether it was from the European countries, whether it was from the Arab countries. Um, the, the point is, it's kind of like our 
what we hold on to are our values, our cultural traditions, our education. Uh, that's what's in our suitcase. But we, what's interesting again is just going back to how we started this podcast is we don't have a land that we've kind of lived in for generations upon generations, which is so sad. Yep. So, okay. So now let's go back to, so I interrupted you. You're in the back of the uh, car. You're covered by um, the things you think you're going on a, um, a roller coaster in the desert. Um, so sorry, take us back after my long interruption. Yeah. So we spent one night in the desert and I remember our smugglers were on motorcycles. They were trying to chase down rabbits, uh, to, to barbecue. Um, I have a vivid memory of that just cause I could see the motorcycles kind of circling. Um, and, uh, the second day that we were there, we, we were sort of still kind of traveling in the darkness. Um, and we got seen by border police. And so they started shooting at us and we turned on the lights of the car. The car started going very fast. We were kind of sitting on the back of, in the back of the pickup truck on our luggage. And we just like went to the floor so we wouldn't fly out. Um, and we got away. We, we actually crossed a ravine that was kind of dangerous. And so the border police didn't want to follow us and we were able to make it into Pakistan um we were there for three months along with other people that were being smuggled out whether they were muslim or um jewish mostly and it's interesting i was at a event a persian event last week in beverly hills and this guy came up to me and he's like was is your mom this person you know were you here and he was one of the people that was escaping with us and so he recognized me and i was like we have to you know he was older when he escaped so i'm like oh my god i have to get like your your view of it um he actually told me he was imprisoned um for a month in pakistan when we first got there which i i don't recall at all my sister didn't recall but he certainly had a different experience so um yeah, so we spent three months there and finally were reunited with my dad in Vienna when we were able to get um, visas to be able to visit Vienna. And so you've been separated from your dad for at that point, like five, six years? No, three months, three months. Okay, fine. Oh, he didn't make the trip to Vienna until you were, okay, got it older. Okay, yeah, okay. he left like, you know, uh, I would say about a you know, week or two before we got your journey started. Yeah. Okay. The reason why they did that, Allison, by the way, is you know, if my mom and my dad were escaping together with their kids, if we were caught, they would go to jail or worse. And then who would take care of us? Right. So they did it like this. So my dad, if we, if we got caught, he would say, oh, I was estranged from my wife. She was trying to make an escape with the kids. And then he would take custody. So that's, that's why they did it like that. Um, and so we were in Vienna for another three months waiting for, you know, the asylum applications to go through for my parents and my sister. Finally, we were able to make it to the States. We stayed in New York for about a month. Um, I remember celebrating uh, my seventh birthday at my grandma's house in Queens um, and I have a great picture where it's just like a silver shopping bag on my head tied with a red piece of yarn. And that was like my birthday hat. <laughs> and then we, we, we finally settled in Los Angeles where I think the weather was uh, better. And so that's kind of the, the escape story. Um, okay. So, you know, Again, I grew up in, not, I can't say I grew up in an Ashkenazi, I grew up in an Ashkenazi like synagogue community, I grew up mostly around non-Jewish people. I only found out in the last, I don't know, several years that there is a different groupings of Persian Jews. There's uh, Shirazi and Mashadi. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Okay. So what, what are you and what are the differences? We're Tehrani. Um, it's just basically like every, it's interesting, every city in, um, 
Iran is known for something like they're proud or they're boastful or they're afraid of taking risks or, you know, whatever it is. But my family was in Tehran. So that's kind of like the metropolitan center. I don't know if they're known for anything. Um, but yeah, it's just funny how, you know, there's jokes about every single city in Iran and kind of what they're stereotyped to be known for characteristically. So it's not like customs are different or is it like Great Neck is kind of one hub of Persians and LA is yes. enough? Or did one group yes. settle in one place versus another? Um, I think there's, you know, the Mashadis I know are very, very highly uh, settled in Great Neck, uh, but there's also a lot of Tehranis. Um, in Los Angeles, we have less of that separation. We have less of the... Um, distinctions mm -hmm. I would say the customs are pretty much the same um sometimes I think the conversation Allison only comes up is when someone's engaged or like dating someone seriously I'm like oh where's their family from you know like <laughs> but I, I think it makes little to no dis difference really in, in Los Angeles were there a lot of Muslims uh, Muslim Iranians that also fled at the time of the revolution because it was yeah a lot of them were um, if they were in any way affiliated with the Shah or um, the military, you know, during during the Shah's reign, a lot of them were killed or placed on kill lists. And so many of those people escaped to America, Canada, Australia, Germany, um, you know, leaving out of Turkey. So. And um, it's interesting, the leader of today's revolution, um, what's her name, Ma something? Um, I just heard her speak. You can tell Masiali Najad, yep. I just heard her speak last Friday. She's amazing. Yep. Um, and I mean, what I loved was that she said, you know, we we support Israel. Like, you know, we don't see Israel as the enemy. It's our, our government that is harming us. So um, I guess what's being kind of safe now on this side, what are your thoughts on what's happening over there? So I actually hosted Massey in my home about a month and a half ago. And uh, I spoke prior to her speaking um, but I told her, I said, you know, when things were happening in Israel, I wholeheartedly posted eight and a half hours a day because it was a matter of, you know, survival. It was a matter of core values to me. And I knew that they had done so much for the Jewish people from all over the world. We had to stand up for Israel. When things they? started. You're saying Israel had done. What What are you referring yeah. to? Yeah. Like okay. took, took everyone in, you hey, know. Hey, hey, hey. Fine, fine. Yeah. So when stuff started happening in Iran, I was kind of ambivalent and I wasn't posting like that, even though I lived in Iran, like I've never lived in Israel. Why am I posting eight and a half hours a day in addition to my day job for Israel and don't have the same feelings for Iran? And with Massey right there, I told her, I said, when they did this to, when Iran did this to the Jews, where were you? Mm -hmm. When they did this to the Baha'is, where were you? When they did this to the gays, where were you? Mm. And she stood up and she said, first she said, you're a badass to me. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, she said as a child in Iran, I've said death to so many groups so many times. No child should wish death upon all these people so many times. And she said, when it happened to the Jews, we said, we're not Jewish. So why should we care? When it happened to the Baha'is, we said, we're not Baha'i, so why should we care? And not until it happened to, you know, Massa, they said, we are all Massa, and they started to care. Mm -hmm. And she apologized. She said, I'm sorry that we weren't there for you guys. But mm -hmm. I think it has to be said. 
It, yeah. And to this day, when I started posting about Iran, I did have some people, I don't know who they are. I don't know who's paying them. I don't know who's backing them, but they came on my page and they said, we don't like the Jews. Why are you saying anything for us? We don't like you. Um, and so, you know, it is a little bit, it took a little bit of um, thinking and meditating and sort of introspection for me to come to the point where I did want to stand up for the Iranian people, um, even though in a big way, the majority of them didn't do the same for us. And I think it has to be said, you know, when they say the the anti-Semitism is the canary in the coal mine, if they come for me tonight, they're coming for you tomorrow. I mean, I think Iran is an excellent example of that. You didn't stand up for your Jews. But what she did say when I heard her speak last week was, um, you know, she, she, the way she explained it at least is that most Iranians have no problem with Israel. We have a problem with the, you know, Iranian non-national guard. She said, that's actually, you know, the, the terrorists that are. No, I think that that's true. But I think that conversation came out of the conversation she had in my home. That's amazing. It's really, because like at the end of the day, there actually is so much in common. There are so many bridges that can be built. And I think like. No, I mean, Allison, you have to understand in Iran, the Jews and our Muslim neighbors, we were borrowing sugar from each other. We were, you know, inviting each other over for dinner. There's a long history of kinship Mm -hmm. um, until the divisions were made from, you know, external forces and, you know, trying to sort of take over Iranian oil and all of that. So there, there isn't a, a big reach mm-hmm. for the Iranian people to feel kinship to Jews. Uh, and there, it's, it doesn't go over their heads that the only country I've seen that has been incredibly vocal in, in support of the revolution has been Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, before that, there was Israeli flag paintings on the ground so people could walk on it. Right. An American flag so people could walk on it. Right. So she said, we're, you know, you hear, you know, uh, Israel is the little Satan, America is the great Satan. Um, it, it was a very hopeful message, you know, to hear. It happens to be that my sister's best friend growing up was a secular Muslim Iranian uh, girl named Galia. So we mm-hmm. actually like grew up in her home. And I knew a little bit of Farsi even before I met the Persian Jews because um, her home was, you know, kind of like our home. Um, what happens when you meet um, Muslim Iranians in America? Like, is that is there an automatic connection there? Is there sort of a, a question of what they think of you as a Jew? Like, is there some sort of kinship or in, not until you've kind of explored their opinion on Jews? All of the above. Okay. okay. If I'm being totally honest, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even you know, Iranian colleagues of mine that I have known and spoken on panels with and and traveled with to conferences and all of this stuff. When all the things started coming out about the, you know, during the conflict with Israel and Palestine, they were liking pictures that were questionable. They were liking memes that were questionable. And with the trauma that the Persian Jews have, as a for as for especially first generation Persian Jews of how we were treated and how we were betrayed. We always, I think, have in the back of our minds, like, who is this person really? What do they think of Jews really? I mean, I've been to dinners. Can you dig into that when you say betrayed. What do you mean by that specifically? With the the they didn't stand up for us when they came for the Jews in Iran. The people that you know should have stood up and said no, this is wrong, didn't. 
And when you say Jews in Iran, you're saying in the part of the revolution, they were targeting Jews specifically there? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's why why you had to hide and that's why you had to escape. Because what you're saying in general, there were Muslims that had to escape as well, but um, the revolution went after officially, originally the kind of the minority communities inside of Iran. Yeah, and and you know, even before the revolution, I mean, before the state of Israel, I remember I was talking to um, one of the older people in our family, and he said when it would rain, they would beat up the Jews in Iran because they said the rain hit your back, hit the floor, and you've made the streets disgusting. Najest, you've made the the streets najest. When the Persian Jews in Iran, you know, again, stories of the older people would go to the supermarket, they weren't allowed to pick an apple because you just made all of the other apples nudges and disgusting and filthy so i mean these are stories that we have heard from our family members in person and so it takes a minute to trust again i think uh on your podcast my family was lined up in um in ukraine i said my great-grandfather was my grandfather was lined up so when the you know war broke out in ukraine i have to tell you in my mind my whole life ukraine is the place that almost slaughtered my family so like i get it it's like where did you come from where did you run from um and how long have you lived here and then like when when do you have to run again but i'll tell you too i mean the jews weren't the only ones that were traumatized i mean two of my closest friends in los angeles were raised muslim they're traumatized by what happened to their families in iran with the revolution too. And so both of them, they don't even know each other. Both of them, when they got married, they got married on the Shahnameh, which is a book of literature. They didn't get married on the Quran. Hmm. So, you know, I definitely have Muslim friends that are practicing Muslims, uh, very tolerant, obviously, and um, educated and evolved. Hmm. I have Muslim friends who are going back to Zoroastrianism because of what happened to their Muslim families during the revolution Mm. and with what they're seeing you know it's traumatizing even seeing what's happening in Iran and a lot of you know the Iranian Muslims for the first time are calling out Islamists this is like the the for me the the shining you know kind of uh you know, the silver lining is that it's the first time I have personally seen moderate Muslims calling out extremism. Yeah, it's so important. And, and by the way, I was, and it makes us and it makes it okay for us to do the same, by the way. I started calling it out much earlier and, and I was getting, you know, labeled Islamophobic and all this stuff. And my Muslim patients and friends who know me know I'm farthest from that. But you have to call out extremism wherever you see it and for the first time it's okay to do so awesome well thank you for uh using your voice i mean that's really incredible this conversation that you guys had and it seems to have uh created an impact because um what i heard was that you know she is pro-israel and you know here to to stand side by side with uh the jewish people um, and thank you for your tireless work um, advocating for the Jewish people um, and for sharing your family story. And we don't hear about this often enough in media. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's so important to know, you know, what you guys lived through and that um, whatever the Persian community has built here. And, you know, thank God there has been a lot of success. It's very new. Uh, it's it's certainly not uh, generations of, uh, you know, wealth or uh, property. Yeah, 
No, I think that, uh, you know, again, the the family values, the core values, the education, the hard work, seeing that our parents left everything to give us a chance, it certainly is motivating. Yeah. Awesome. Well, continued success um, in all that you do. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Allison. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.